0: this is the breakfast wrap with john moore
1: Good morning, it's John Moore, and this is the Breakfast Wrap for Friday, February 17th. The freezing rain morning is over for the GTA, but it's still a little slippy out there. We're expecting periods of light snow coming to an end this morning. The rest of the day, cloudy, let little on the breezy side. And the high, well, it's actually the low, because we're going to go down instead of up. We're going down to minus 5 degrees. Here are the five things you need to know. Number one, police seeking suspects in the shooting of a teenager outside of a high school. Number two, the John Tory era ends at 5 p.m. today. Number three, a judge's inquiry into the Emergencies Act report comes out today. Number four, a police officer's gun is stolen from his car at a mall. And number five, Southern Ontario wakes up to slippery conditions.
0: The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. 5.07
1: Five oh seven on a Friday morning. And it's a sweet,
0: sweet Friday. Thank you.
1: Friday. Well, that was preemptive. Thank you very much, Nick Mirano. But uh, yes, I would agree. It's it's also a slippery, slippery Friday. Uh, before we get into what will be a somewhat portentous. Uh, Day in the news everything from John Tory walking away from Toronto City Hall to The judge's report coming out early not sure what that's about It's the judge's inquiry into the declaration of the Emergencies Act on the 14th of February last year and Originally, it was supposed to be coming out on Monday and I guess somebody said oh wait a sec. That's a holiday We don't want to pay overtime, so they're gonna dump it on a Friday and of course this, I'm pretty sure, you can correct me if I'm wrong, you always can at 7-10-10, you can send a text, but I'm pretty sure Ontario is the only place where Monday is a holiday. That was sort of a Dalton McGinty frippery. And so we're dumping a report in the largest province in the place where most of this Emergencies Act stuff happened on a Friday before a long weekend. Way to go. All right. Um, I mentioned that we're waking up to some slippery conditions. All I can tell you is in Midtown, which is all I can account for personally, uh, nearly broke my butt on the front porch. But, you know, once I got into the car... I only had to turn on the windshield wipers to clear the ice off of it. However, that's at Midtown. I mean, I get it. we got microclimates such that Eglinton's probably worse than St. Clair. So I thought we'd bring Lisa Morales in for a bit of a spot check on what's going on all over southern Ontario and the conditions of the roads before a lot of people hit the roads. Lisa, good morning.
2: Good morning to you, John.
1: Okay, so uh, what are we looking at? It's always very variable, you know, East of Toronto, west of Toronto, north of Toronto. So what's going on?
2: Well, listen, I come out of Caledon, as a lot of people know, and I kind of wish I parked in my garage last night because I, you know, I gave myself 10 extra minutes. I usually do when I see that we have some inclement weather on the way, uh, just because I want to take my time coming in. And, you know, a lot of times when we leave for work in the morning, you and I uh, and Nick and, you know, all the people that start this early morning shift, roads haven't necessarily been pre-treated the way that we'd ideally like them to be. So I do give myself that extra drive time. Uh, But, yeah, I definitely had quite a few millimeters of ice that I had to scrape off off the car this morning. So that wasn't really pleasant. And that's what I'm hearing is sort of parts of Vaughn, Brampton, Caledon, as far up as Bradford, Barrie, uh, that kind of thing is where we're dealing with more of the icy conditions. And then sort of south of the 401, because of where the temperature was sitting, it was more so rain. It could definitely still be the potential for uh, a freezing situation because, you know, we are kind of hovering around the freezing mark, but then those conditions are supposed to change. I'm no meteorologist. I'm not going to, you know, jump on Bill Coulter's boat, but yeah, things are going to be a little bit dicey this morning.
1: Okay. Well, I know you'll be keeping an eye on it, and we'll have uh, updates every 15 minutes, but a good start to the day to give people a bit of a fix. Thank you. Thank you. Lisa Morales at the all-day traffic desk, and as mentioned, I mean, she'll be back at 5.15. If you want to flag something to Lisa, you know, because like I said, I, it, it is so variable. You know, somebody will arrive at the office today and say it was the most hellish, slippery day, perilous drive they ever had, and other people will go, well, it wasn't a big deal for me. So if it is a particular problem where you are, if you got black ice or it takes you a half hour to get the ice off the car, then you can always send us a text at 7-10-10. I was mentioning today is going to be a big news day, and I don't know that there's much more to say about John Tory, except it just becomes all the more final today. He submitted his resignation. We talked about it at length yesterday morning. I know there are a lot of people very unhappy about it. I've talked with Toronto City councillors who wanted him to stay. I've actually been going back and forth with some of his staffers, and I'm happy to see that at least during the interim period with Jennifer McKelvey, who will become the mayor at five o'clock this afternoon, um, John Tory's staff mostly, it would seem, is staying in place. And that makes sense. I mean, she says that she wants to have a degree of continuity. And she's also announced, I think this is actually beyond significant, that she's not going to run. So she is going to be the mayor until we find the next mayor, until we elect the next mayor. And it would seem that most of the people surrounding her will continue to be the people who surrounded John Tory. So that very much is continuity. But there's also a deeply personal story in all of this, and that is John Tory, who and I'll get to this column later uh, from Mr. Hepburn in the Toronto Star, but I think aside from there, obviously, not every politician is going to survive, is going to satisfy every cohort. But John Tory's been an enormously popular mayor, and I think that both his work, his diligence on the job, in terms of trying to run this city and trying to envision a future for it but also just in terms of his commitment to events and charities and um, organizations and and just all the guts that are the job of a mayor, but not every mayor works the way John Tory works. And I don't know we're ever going to see a mayor who works the way John Tory works. All of that comes to an end this afternoon at five o'clock and just by sheer dint of the commitment that he's shown to the job over the last eight years, you know that tomorrow morning it's going to be kind of a vacuum. You know, I cannot imagine. And then I was imagining yesterday that, you know, John Tory's probably going to have to keep a pretty low profile. Because if he were to, for example, be out in a restaurant, then people are just going to walk up to the table as they do with famous people and either complain about, how this all happened, or complain that it happened, or complain that he's no, no longer the mayor, or whatever else. Those are the terms of being a celebrity. I always remember Sandra Shamus, who I still think is a fantastic artist, but is not as famous now as she was 25 years ago when she and I first met, actually 30 years ago. But she told me a story once about her boyfriend was dumping her in a restaurant over lunch. And somebody came up and said, I really love what you do. And she said, I'm a little busy right now. Um, but that's the life of somebody who lives in the crucible of the public eye. Uh, the other thing that's going to be happening today, and Joe Christiana, do we know the hour of the delivery of the of the judicial report? I probably should have read the news story closer. No, I, didn't. No, no. I don't well, know. Well, let's find out. Because, I mean, that is going to matter. Because then, you know, is it going to be... Um, you know, a big deal on the rush. I imagine it's going to be a big deal on the rush, but who knows? Maybe it comes down during Jerry's show, in which case we're going to get this great big dump of a report that's probably going to be 100 pages long and everybody's going to rush through it to see what it's kind of almost like a judge's verdict in a criminal or civil case. You know, what is the final verdict? Was the federal government justified in declaring the Emergencies Act? And this is a very critical day in the life of Justin Trudeau, and in the life of the federal government, you found out already? Noon. Noon. All right. High noon for some. High noon for some. And, okay, so I'm looking forward to that. I got nothing going today after the show. So uh, I will process that report, definitely. Then again, I'm not here on Monday, so it doesn't really matter. I mean, by Tuesday, it's going to be yesterday's news, and that's exactly what Justin Trudeau wants, isn't it?
0: All right, it's time for What Toronto's Talking About with News Talk 1010's John Moore. John, happy Friday. Unfortunately, we're starting off with uh, some pretty devastating and disturbing news. A 15-year-old student is in critical condition after shooting at a Toronto high school. Uh, it seems like the rash of violence could, continues to escalate.
1: You're right. I don't know if there's necessarily a pattern except to say that there has been, as you said, a rash of violence in Ontario, and in particular Toronto high schools. The latest was a 15-year-old is said to be in critical condition at, well, no longer at Weston Collegiate Institute, but that's where the shooting took place. He's in hospital. And one of the things that is not known about this case is whether or not he and the people who attacked him knew each other, but he was a grade 10 student shot from a vehicle that was carrying an unknown number of suspects. They're still at large. Police are looking at as much video footage as they can obtain. But you also have to imagine those kids who attend that school are arriving at school today with the knowledge that one of their fellow students was shot and is now fighting for their life.
0: Yeah, that's pretty traumatic. All right, John, uh, talk about an end of an era. Mayor John Tory is formally resigning as Toronto mayor today. So what happens next?
1: This is so fraught with drama. I mean, uh, you guys have had a camera trained on John Tory's office for the last few days. And we've seen him answering the telephone, talking with people, reading the papers from time to time. But all of that is coming to an end. And he's kind of worn that office like a suit, hasn't he, for the last Mm -hmm. eight years. I think John Tory has actually been, you can have your criticisms about some of the policy, but he's been an extraordinarily committed mayor, working seven days a week. He loves the job. But it all comes to an end at 5 o'clock this afternoon. Uh, We have Jennifer McKelvey. We don't know exactly what happens, whether or not she has to be officially sworn in, but she does become the acting mayor at 5 o'clock this afternoon. And I think, interestingly, over the last 24 hours, one of the things we learned is she will not be running for mayor. So this is Mm. going to be a short term. However, uh, one of the things we're going to be talking about on our show today is the mayor's office can't be declared vacant until the 29th of March. So we can't even start the process of a by-election until the end of the next month, which I think is a little uh, tedious to say the least.
0: Yeah, so technically he's kind of still mayor until the 29th because the office isn't vacant until then, is that correct?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, okay.
1: Well, no, he's gone. He, I mean, he, he has gone. renounced the office, but um, we can't, yeah, we can't begin the replacement process. Right, until and that. I think this is kind of pressing the pause button on running our city, and I think we need to get on with this.
0: Absolutely. All right. Uh, speaking of getting on with things, the Freedom Convoy protests, we're still hearing about it uh, a year later. The Emergencies Act Commission report, though, is being delivered. It is out February 20th on whether or not it should have been invoked to clear that Freedom Convoy.
1: Well, here's the thing, though, it was supposed to come out on the 20th, and I don't know, maybe they had an emergency meeting and said, wait a second, 20th Monday, uh, Ontario holiday. Mm -hmm. So they're going to release it today at noon. So we're going to have plenty to talk about on CP24 and News Talk 1010 all through the afternoon today. And the ultimate question is, was the government justified in invoking the Emergencies Act? I don't think anybody can make any fearless predictions about this. Um, And there's not serious jeopardy for the federal government and Justin Trudeau, but if the judge does. find that it was unwarranted then that's going to be something they're going to have to fight
0: Mm, okay and uh, turning to this now john uh, the opp have released new images of three suspects linked to the kidnapping of ontario woman elnaz has she was taken from her home in wasaga beach after another incident in a parking lot Uh, but, but we're seeing some new images of suspects now
1: I'm wondering where these images came from I mean most certainly they could not have been available in the early days because when you have a missing person it's you know like 48 hours are the most critical and here we are um, a year and a month later after she was abducted but yes there are photographs of two men and a woman and I think there's enough detail in spite of masking and bad angles here that if somebody knows who these people are they'll be able to identify them so maybe we'll be a little bit closer to this mystery
0: yeah they've even upped uh, the reward money recently so hopefully Hopefully there's uh, some Mm -hmm. justice here, a closure eventually. And uh, finally, we'll finish off with beer, John, because it's Friday. Uh, The two comical characters, Bob and Doug McKenzie, are back. But this time they're in a new campaign fighting for uh, Canadian beer drinkers being hoes. They want to oppose that federal beer tax increase. Open
1: the and like- These ads have been <laughs> running on News Talk 1010. I heard them over the last couple of days. Um, there's a bit of an amateur aspect because one of the guys is on the phone, and I listened to it really closely, and I thought, really? Is that the original actors from SCTV? Is that Bob and Doug McKenzie? And yes, indeed wow. it is. And this is for uh, Canadian beer lobby. Effectively, on the 1st of April, a new beer tax is going to kick in at 6.3%. So they're lobbying against that. Pretty good get, actually, and, a, and pretty on brand. I guess for beer producers because you know Bob and Doug McKenzie are kind of what Canada is all about
0: <laughs> exactly very Canadiana all right John uh, cheers to you happy Friday have a good weekend we'll talk with you not- next week
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: Jennifer Cheng at uh, CP24 always a delight there was some uh, goofiness off the end that TV viewers would have seen and heard. But as, as you know, if you listen to this segment on the radio, and occasionally I review it on television, I go home and I look at it and uh, add it on the PVR. But the technology we're using, unfortunately, has what they call in the business latency. And so it's a bit like being uh, a network reporter in Bucharest where, you know, it's like, One steamboat, two steamboat, three steam. So it makes it kind of hard to goof around. But uh, Bill Coulter likes to chirp at me because we golf together and we're good buddies. And he wanted me to do the, the famous opening for Bob and Doug McKenzie, which ultimately I decided to do. But like I said, the chemistry is not as easy in this segment because there is that delay. So it's kind of hard to go back and forth. Kind of like those transatlantic calls you used to have with relatives back in the day. Where one of you would start talking and then the other person would start talking and then you'd say you go and then you go. It's kind of like when you bump into somebody on the street and everybody's like, OK, I'll go. Le- no, you'll go. I'll be- I- anyway. And the clock keeps ticking and it's like seventy two dollars for you to say, no, you go. Well, do you remember all of the goofiness about long distance back in the day? I mean, now nobody cares. I mean, I was talking to friends the other day and we were talking about what people's telephone, Internet, cell phone, tablet. Uh, you know, landline, if they got it, bill is, and it's like 500, 600, $700 a month. And especially if you got kids, but back in the day, long distance was so freaking expensive that people would have a stopwatch because for example, there was three minutes was, you know, like 50 cents. And after that it was a dollar a minute or something like that. And actually the long distance clock didn't tick in until about 10 seconds into the call in case you had a wrong number. So you could hang up and you wouldn't get a drop charge. And I always remember getting back from Manitoulin Island to Montreal. And my mother would call my grandmother to say we got home safely. And she would just dial. My grandmother would pick up on a party line, I might add. And my mother would say, we're good. Click. And hang up the phone.
0: You're listening to The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore.
1: 5.37 on a Friday morning. Minus three degrees. So... Everything that is coming down from the sky pretty well everywhere is uh, freezing, and I can only account for my experience this morning, and then Lisa Morales, for example, was on in the last half hour, and she comes in from Caledon, so she has an entirely different experience. She said it took her a good 10 minutes to clean off the car, and the drive was a little slower, but certainly it's not in Midtown, at the very least, one of those days where you sink the brakes when you get to the end of your street and slide into the intersection. However, if you uh, want to identify any particularly troublesome areas, you can always do so via text at 7-10-10. So for some people, it's a long weekend. I'm kind of excited. Uh, Jason Agnew is going to be here on Monday in this chair on this microphone. And um, I realize I can't really be too as Paul McCartney would say, chuffed about having a day off when I only just got back from a week off. But I'm very excited about having a long weekend. And these days, I guess I've reached that age where people say, what are your plans for the weekend? And I say, my plan is no plan. And so very much looking forward to a nice quiet weekend. Maybe I'll make my way through that stack of newspapers that I have this thing where I put unread newspapers on the left of the seat where I read. And if I'm finished with a section, I throw it down on the right. So it goes to recycling. But if I haven't got to it yet, or if there was one or two articles or columns that I thought, oh, I want to go back and cut that out and put it on, the, you know, on one of the shows, then that goes back on the left. But very quickly, the stack adds up and then it becomes daunting. And then you think maybe I'll just give up. And next thing you know, you're one of the um, Collier brothers in New York City. And that's a story I'll tell later on in the show if you haven't heard it before. But let's just say when in New York at the very least, I don't know if this is the case in Toronto, firefighters, if you're listening, you can always text us and confirm something. Um, but a collier is when you arrive at a house and it, it's a hoarder. And the your brothers were two brothers in New York City, born rich, living in a mansion, ended up dying because they had um, stacked up so much junk in their house it fell over on them. But let's get back to today's stories rather than uh, ancient, if compelling, uh, history. It's 539 today, and I won't dwell on this forever, but I, I think it's an occasion worth observing, I guess. But, you know, this is the final day for John Tory as mayor of Toronto, and it's a sad end to a career. I think it's a sad day for our city. I've also, though, said that let's not get carried away. We are not being abandoned in some kind of Lord of the Rings chaos with the departure of John Tory. I'm sure that the acting mayor, Jennifer McKelvey, ably supported by a very talented civil service and most of John Tory's staff, will do fine. And as a matter of fact, if I can make one thing debatable on our show today, although there'll be many, but if I I can front rack something, uh, I think there has to be a special meeting of council because I don't think it is acceptable, the process that we're currently looking at for finding the next mayor. You see, what they need is a meeting of Toronto City Council and the next scheduled meeting of Toronto City Council is the 29th of March. One of the funny things when... When Doug Ford cut the size of Toronto City Council, the only thing people focused on was the tediousness of city council meetings and how they would go late into the night and they were boring, I will I will attest, uh, but they would go on and on and on. However, council only meets for three days, like every six weeks or something. It's not like the House of Commons. You don't have to show up every single morning and yell at each other. It's not like Queen's Park. Um, council, for the most part, city councilors are in their offices with their staff, answering the phone, trying to fix things. The amount of time they spend on in, in council meetings, at the very least, I get it. They're on committees like the TTC and budget and parks and stuff like that. But the amount of time they actually spend in formal council is very little. So the next scheduled council meeting is on the 29th of March. And one of the powers that the new acting mayor is going to have at 5 p.m. this afternoon is the ability to call council meetings. So my, I, I don't know if she listens to the show. It's one of the things I'll miss, the fact that the mayor of Toronto listens to the show, and if I get something wrong, I get a text. Uh, I don't know if the future mayor of Toronto will listen to the show, but I would call on her to call a council meeting as soon as possible because then we get into this sort of, um, it's almost like dominoes, we get into this business of, okay, so the mayor's office is declared vacant. Then one business day later, people can start registering their candidacies at City Hall to run for the mayoralty. Nominations will close depending on the time frame that is set between 30 and 60 days later. A by-election is held 45 days after that. Now, Joe Cristiano, maybe you can do a little calendar math at some point and we'll talk about this later in the show. Um, that's a lot of days. I mean, that I think if I'm looking at this timeline means we don't get to an election until summer and who pays any attention to election in the summertime. Then we get into the proposed candidates. And I'll tell you, my phone is ridiculous because this is a race almost without parameters. Normally, like, you know, Uh, On the federal level, is Justin Trudeau running or not running? That gives you a lot of the geometry of what the next federal race is going to look like. In the last municipal race, is John Tory running? Yes. Is he beatable? Probably not. So why bother? This time, anybody could run. So uh, Anna Bilal, former city council, counselor, is said to be already working. And as a matter of fact, she's said to be working with Nick Kouvalas, who is... One of the most talented, if not idiosyncratic, uh, political strategists in the business. Uh, Brad Bradford is apparently running. The provincial conservatives seem to favor him. And certainly just judging by some of my communications with him over the last little while and watching how he's been comporting himself. And he made a video yesterday where he was celebrating some sort of local food. He's running. Uh, Gil Penalosa already said he was running. Um, We actually have a clip of Gil Penelow, so I guess it's time to get a better measure of the man, Nick, now that he's genuinely running and has a chance to become the mayor of Toronto. And... Something he was talking about with John Tory clearing the scene was people say we have no political parties in Toronto municipal politics, but we do.
0: I think that there will be some extreme left and extreme right. I think that is history. When they say there are no political parties at the municipal level, we know that that's a lie. All of the political parties, the Liberals, the Conservatives, the NDP are aligning their people, aligning their budgets. I don't know for any political party, so I think that will be different. I think all of these political parties will have uh, their professional politicians running.
1: Okay, and he's not wrong, Um, but it's not the same. Like in some places, you know, in the United States, you have Democrats and Republicans who run for uh, positions, even school board positions. In Montreal, they have political parties, but it's a farce because all they do is they come up with a mayoral candidate and then they invent a party associated with him. I'm glad that we don't have formal municipal parties, but he's also not wrong about the fact that, for example, Shelley Carroll ran for the provincial liberals. Uh, We know uh, there's a group of city councillors who are very, very much the NDP. And then you get other people, you know, the provincial conservatives saying they want Brad Bradford to be the mayor of Toronto, but there's nothing formal. And I like that. Because it means that every whip count is a completely open debate. It's not like, well, I'm a conservative councillor, then I have, formed, I have to follow the leadership.
0: Subscribe today and always hear the latest episode of The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore.
1: The weather incidentally was brought to you by Frank Leo, your home sold guaranteed. Frank Leo of REMAX has a multi-million dollar marketing system to get sold guaranteed or Frank will buy it. Go to getleo.com and start packing. All right, so let's take a closer look at some of the things that were in the five things you need to know. Uh, the police officer's gun, and again, you know what, I, I always lean in on the fact that so many people listen to News Talk 1010, that when you talk about something about which a listener has specified knowledge, they usually either fix your wagon or provide some useful information. Um, you know, I've talked about Pearson Airport and aviation, and I hear from pilots. So you talk about firefighters. I once just asked out loud on the air, who gets to drive the fire truck? <laughs> and a guy called in to tell me who gets to drive the fire truck. So. I would be curious in a question I promise you we will answer authoritatively before 9 o'clock. What is the protocol for a police officer's gun? In the city of Toronto, I don't know. Uh, I only know from watching The Rookie, which is set in Los Angeles, that you go to a controlled room every morning and get your gun, and at the end of the day, you take it back in. I know in many jurisdictions in the states where there are not too many prohibitions about guns, Police officers just wear their gun whenever they want. And the idea that they could take it home and uh, use it to defend themselves or to commit suicide, um, you know, it's always out there. I don't know what the protocol for Toronto police officers is. I do know the protocol for the control of a gun for a private gun owner is that you have to have a safe at home and you have to keep your gun and the ammunition separate and the real critical key here is, if you are going to a gun range with your gun, you must, go do, you must put the gun, which is still in a container, uh, in the trunk of your car, and you must go directly to the shooting range, and when you are done, you must go directly home and put the gun back in the safe. So, for example, if you stop at Tim Hortons and get out of your car and go get coffee, you are technically, well, not technically, you are breaking the law. But, you know, that doesn't stop a lot of people from doing that. And I don't know, uh, you know, a gun locked in a box, locked in a trunk in a Tim Hortons parking lot where nobody even knows you own a gun. I'm not sure if that's a, a major public jeopardy. But this is the case of a detective constable parked his vehicle at Sherway Gardens and on Wednesday. And when he came back, he discovered that his car had been broken into and a bag containing his gun had been taken. Now, at least he did the right thing after that. And he called his supervisors and he is now suspended with pay. He's been charged with careless storage of firearm and careless storage of ammunition. And that gun is out there somewhere. And somebody, you have to wonder, you know, do you, I don't think somebody broke into this particular car looking for a couple of spare quarters for a toll booth, which of course we don't do anymore, but um, you know, somebody likely wanted this particular gun and now they have it. Um, Niagara Falls today, we're going to turn our attention to Niagara Falls at one point, Jim Diodati who is the mayor of Niagara Falls, joined us quite a few times during COVID, especially when he felt that the shutdown had gone on too long and he wanted to get back to the business of people crossing the border. Uh, He'll be here at 8.05 this morning. Now, the reason we originally asked him to appear on the show, and we're still going to talk about this in great detail, is there's a story today about migrants who have been transferred after having crossed into Canada in Quebec at Roxham Road, the notorious Roxham Road. Uh, They're being spread out through hotel rooms in various Canadian cities. But uh, Jim Diodati says they've had enough in Niagara Falls. They've got too many. He's, you know, they're being very charitable. Um, A little known aspect of newcomers, refugees, and others who come to Canada, particularly things like the Syrian refugees, Ukrainian refugees, is there are intensely organized people, often through faith-based charities, who welcome these people, find them homes, Uh, get their kids into schools, uh, give them company. Uh, There is that apparatus, there is that kind of stuff going on in Niagara Falls, but Jim Diodati is saying, whoa, uh, too many people. We gotta get back to tourism in the month of May and you guys are filling up our hotel rooms. But there's also another story about a mother and a child who went over the falls and the mother is dead and the child is, uh, is grievously hurt. And it's also thought to have been a a deliberate act. I don't think Jim Diodati can provide a ton of information. And certainly, you know, there's I don't know what a mayor can say about something so horrible like that. But when something like that happens in your community, um, people want to know from the mayor, um, you know, what's been going on. Uh, We got a million things going on this morning that I, you know, have only it's just begun to scratch the surface of and about which I'm sure our morning pundit is going to have plenty to say. Deb Hutton on patrol this morning on the morning brief at 620. So let's take a short break and then set up our next hour of the show. That's The Breakfast Wrap. Thanks a lot for listening. My name is John Moore. I hope we'll talk again soon.
0: You've been listening to The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. Don't forget to subscribe and get the latest episode from wherever you get your podcasts. And listen weekday mornings from 5 to 9 on News
2: Talk 1010.